You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Thanksgiving's over. December starts tomorrow, day after tomorrow, which means we are officially in the least sexiest time of the year. There is nothing sexy about the holiday season. So it's a word to everyone who's sexting, taking pictures for their personal websites, for Adult Friend Finder, for Dudes Nude, for Ashley Madison, wherever you're posting dirty pictures of yourself – Please, for the love of fucking baby Jesus, no dirty pictures in Santa hats, no bent over on all fours showing your asshole in front of the Christmas tree. Take it, and by it I mean your asshole, your genitals, your twat, your tits, whatever. Take it to a part of the house that you didn't decorate and pose there because then those pictures will be – They'll have a longer shelf life than your, it's Christmas and I'm in a Santa hat and here's my asshole and my tree and my stockings hung with care. That juxtaposition, and we see it a lot around the holidays, that juxtaposition of your asshole and the celebration of the baby Jesus's birthday makes Bill O'Reilly cry, but it also makes me cry, so it's a wash. There's nothing to be gained there. And it's a turnoff, particularly to your Jewish friends who might want to fuck your ass, but not at the cost of having to look at your living room in that condition. So just like a word before – we'll get to the calls. There are a lot of calls. We're not going to have a long rant. Just please, God, please. I would actually like to think that my listeners aren't so stupid or classless or crass or leotarded to pose like that in front of Christmas trees and in decorated – Dens, rec rooms, living rooms. So I'm going to extend you all the, the, the benefit of the doubt and assume that nobody out there who can hear the sound of my voice right now is bent over on all fours in front of the Christmas tree with the camera set to flash. But you may know someone who is in that position right now who's not a listener. Please call that person right now and stage an intervention. No more Christmas sects. No more Christmas Dirty pictures on websites. I find it very, very, very disturbing. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Smitten Kitten, offering an amazing selection of products for your sex life. Enter Savage at smittenkittenonline.com for 20% off your purchase. Hey, Dan. So I went to a massage parlor today, and I've been going for about the last three years, not very often, maybe every couple months. Before I was getting hand jobs and honestly was regularly seeing someone that I liked we did chemistry and I haven't gotten any diseases I'm aware of I just checked a couple months ago and I was kind of sexually not doing so well and I think that's probably the reason why I was going I was pretty burnt out I didn't have a high sex drive so massage was a happy ending it was a great way for me to relax and get some relief um I haven't had a girlfriend for a couple of years, and now I would like a girlfriend. I don't want to disclose this aspect. I want to keep, and I don't want to go to massage parlors anymore. I would also like your opinion on sex work. 
in theory, I believe sex work is good, honest work. But then, if I was to disclose this little secret publicly or to a future girlfriend, I wouldn't want to do that. So there's a conflict between what I believe and how I would act. So, what's the deal with that? I wouldn't call it a disconnect between how you feel about sex work, that it shouldn't be stigmatized, uh, and your hesitancy to disclose your history with sex workers to someone you might date. I wouldn't call that a disconnect so much as an awareness that however you feel about sex work, a lot of people out there have problems with it uh, and it is stigmatized, not just the sex worker but also her customer or his customers. Uh, They are stigmatized. The whole field is stigmatized. So you're right to regard this as something you probably would want to keep private at least at the outset of a new relationship and all of us edit. All of us omit. Uh, a relationship is not, as I've said, a deposition. You do not, you're not under oath and you do not have to answer all questions truthfully and honestly and at great length. And all of us have a right to stuff some shit down the memory hole that we're embarrassed by or ashamed of or worried that other people uh, won't understand or will react very negatively to. So – as you move forward, you know, get tested. Uh, if you're going to stop being a client of sex workers, stop. Get tested and then feel free to keep this part of your private life, this part of your sexual history, private. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm happily married by poly woman. I've been with my husband for about eight years. I've also got a boyfriend who moved in with us in April, and that's going really well. My husband and my boyfriend are really good friends, and they play board games together, and they talk all the time. And I'm sure that at some point the honeymoon period will wear off and we'll have some issues, but thus far, what few difficulties we've encountered have been dealt with really fairly and lovingly, and it's incredibly good. My problem is that I've also been dating a married by man, Noel, for about four years. And his husband, Buzz, has twice now called off our relationship because he just couldn't deal anymore, despite the fact that they were supposedly poly for their entire relationship. Um, the second time around, Buzz decided that I couldn't, that I could date Noel again if we followed lots of rules that they hammered out over the course of six months. And I didn't get to impact what the rules said, which was kind of infuriating because some of them had to do with what kind of birth control I used. But I agreed to the rules that they decided on, and I finally got comfortable with having a relationship with Noel within those rules, and it gotten to the point where I didn't fear every time I spent time with Noel that it would be our last date or whatever. And then Buzz told Noel to break it off again this past week and that Buzz has been withdrawing from their marriage for the past couple of months while Noel dated me and really either they're going to get a divorce or Noel has to break up with me again. And so Noel has broken up with me again. And and this is incredibly painful and I am incredibly unhappy and Aside from dealing with the breakup, again, I don't know how to be with my other partners while I'm in mourning. I know that they're holding back on initiating sex because I'm sad a lot of the time right now. And 
I've tried initiating sex with both of them in the past day, and it's been okay, but I'm I'm just heartbroken, and I want to be having sex with Noel, and I don't know what to do because I don't want to be taking out my feelings for Noel on my husband and my boyfriend, and and I don't think that they want me to do that either. So, I could use some help. I don't want to salt your wounds or pile on or make you cry more. But honest to God, the situation you describe and the emotions that you're feeling right now, this is – these are what people who are not in and fear poly relationships imagine that they're like. You have a husband. You have a live-in boyfriend. You have this other guy you are dating. When are you done? Not that I don't believe people can have more than three or two relationships at a time, but you've got two guys. This other guy can't keep seeing you because he has a primary partner that he's married to and she doesn't want you dating him because clearly – you may be a little bit more attached than is appropriate under the circumstances considering he's married to somebody else and has a primary partner and you have two other partners, both of whom you live with. I get it. Your feelings are hurt. You can't have everything you want. But no one can. And if you're going to churn really this many people through your love life – this cast of thousands, you're always going to be losing someone. If you're afraid of the heartbreak of being dumped, stop dating new people. Stop acquiring new partners. Stick with the two you've got. Now, maybe your erotic imagination, your erotic inner life, your sexuality contains or can contain multitudes and you're not ever going to be satisfied with just two partners, husband and boyfriend both live in. Okay, then, great, but you are then signing up for this, this kind of heartbreak, this kind of churn, this kind of meeting somebody new, falling for them, falling hard, and then for whatever reason, that relationship doesn't work out. Most rela- As I've always said on the show, every relationship you're ever going to be in is going to fail until one doesn't, or in your case, until two don't. But you really don't have a right to expect if you're going to date, you know, three, four guys at a time that you will never get dumped. Like getting dumped every once in a while by one of the many men you're with is just the price of admission. That's just what you're signing up for in a poly situation like this. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't sign up for it. I'm not saying it doesn't necessarily work for you or for some people. But if it makes you feel this way, if it makes you feel this bad and this setback and this damages you so that you feel like you can't be sexually active with your other two partners after having been dumped by this third guy that you have these really strong feelings with, maybe this isn't the best scenario for you. Maybe you shouldn't be continuing to date and acquire new partners if losing your next new partner is going to do damage 
to your relationships with the two partners you have at home now. So buck up, little Polly Lass, and go have sad sex with your husband and your boyfriend. And that's okay. You know, sometimes you have sad sex with people when, you know, bad shit happens in your life. Something bad happens in your life. Go, you know, you can't be with the one or one of the ones you love. Go fuck the other two ones you're with. All right. Good luck. Hi, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old married bisexual woman. I've been married for about five years now, and I've known my husband since I was 16. Um, I'm definitely more of a lesbian-leaning sort of bisexual. I've always found women way more attractive than men. But the problem is is I live in kind of a small area, and I'm not really sure how to go about finding other hot chicks. I mean, when I look on the Internet, all I find are Navy wives because I'm near a Navy area, and I really don't want to, you know, find someone to fuck, so to speak, with, uh, with children or anything like that. And most of the women I find just aren't, to the standards that I'm looking for. You know, I've met other hot chicks and I said hi to them, but I don't really know how to open up the door that, you know, I'm a bisexual chick looking for other bisexual women. Um, I'm kind of not completely open about the fact that I am bi. Um, All my friends, for the most part, all my friends know. My family doesn't know. And, you know, I don't exactly have this ability to wave the hi, I'm bisexual flag over my head, especially being married. It seems to detract more people. I'm not looking for a threesome. Um, that, I mean, if that were to happen, that'd be fine, but my husband is perfectly okay with me fucking other women with him not even around. Um, so I'm just, I'm not really sure where to look. You know, I, I, you know, did have sex once in the past five years with a woman and it's just, it's something that I need to feel sexually gratified and I almost feel like it's, you know, hurting my sexual chemistry with my husband because I can't get this sort of, you know, sex thing out. So let me see if I follow you. You... Bi, married, living in a Navy town, not a lot of options, and you're dissatisfied because you can't find basically an unattached, kind of hip, hot, San Francisco, lesbian-identified woman in whatever town it is that you're in. You have a long list of what you don't want. You don't want married. You don't want uh, anyone with kids. You don't want anyone who's not hot. You don't want anyone who's not kind of a dyke. Uh, And that person, that sort of magical unicorn person you're looking for has to be down with being your lesbian piece on the side that you're not into married by women, but the woman you're looking for needs to, by definition, be open to married by women. Can you see the problem here? You're asking for a woman to settle for you when you wouldn't even settle for you. You've ruled yourself out as a possibility for yourself. That's the problem. Your options are limited, so you're going to have to look around at what's actually available to you. It may not be ideal, but if it's harming your marriage because you're not getting a little lesbian action, a little same-sex lesbo love every once in a while, you might just have to settle for another woman who is in your shoes, another bi-married Navy wife in the small, shitty, horrible town that you're in. You can't always have everything you want. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by the Smitten Kitten. Smitten Kitten has an amazing selection of products for your sex life. Whether you're single or partnered, their non-toxic, body-safe toys are the best quality products available. 
Shop their easy-to-navigate, secure website at smittenkittenonline.com or visit one of their stores in Minneapolis or Denver. Take 20% off any order online or in-store with the code SAVAGE. Smitten Kitten, sex toys for everyday people. Hey, Dan. I'm 42, guy, in a relationship with a girl for about four years now. My problem is that I'm a cheater. I've never been able to maintain a monogamous relationship for long. And I basically came to the conclusion that if I were ever going to have a long-term relationship, I'd just have to be a good cheater and keep it hidden. Um, Since listening to your podcast, I've started to think about the possibility that an open relationship might be what something I should actually be in. I come from a fairly conservative background, and to be honest, it never occurred to me to have an open relationship. It always just seemed like monogamy was part of the deal for a long-term thing. When I raised this question with my current girlfriend, not only did she say no, but the hell no. No threesomes, no swinging, nothing of that nature. Um, In her view, an open relationship is basically an unhealthy relationship, and not only was it not good for us, but that I was an unhealthy person for wanting to have that kind of relationship. Um, She says that an abusive childhood has left me with emotional issues that I'm really just looking for an excuse to fuck around. Um, I don't deny that I probably have my own issues, but at the same time, I think that, you know, my eyes have been opened a little bit and I'm wondering if there's something to it. So my question is, how do I tell if I'm a non-monogamous person who's just in the wrong relationship, or do I need to see something, see somebody about um, maybe an unhealthy way of dealing with relationships or commitment issues? Um, I've got a lot of time with my current partner and we've built a pretty good life and I don't want to throw it away if there's something with me that needs to be fixed. But at the same time, I would like us both to be happy. So I had a quick follow-up question. You've been with this woman that you broached the subject of an open relationship with. You've been with her for four years. You say you've cheated on everyone you've ever been with. Have you cheated on her? Yes. Does she know? She recently found out, yes. Are you still with her? I'm going through that decision process at the moment. Uh Uh-huh. that's what led me to the phone call. Um, I, if it's me that's screwed up, I want to get help so I can, you know, live a healthy life and not have to go through this over and over again forever. But if it's a case of, you know, you're just not the kind of person who's ever going to be happy with one person, then... You know, I should do that. I'm just. You know, it could be both. It's not either or. You could be screwed up and incapable of being monogamous. Uh, and, you know, getting to the bottom of why you're screwed up isn't going to make you monogamous. Necessarily. Okay. Thanks for the ray of light. And, well, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to let you have it. But also, you, you, you cut me off too soon. You could be fine and not screwed up. You know, there's. The culture pathologizes people who are honest about what they're capable of or incapable of sexually if what they're 
incapable of is monogamy. People are, by definition, sick or abused or damaged if they're not willing or interested in or capable of being monogamous. So just the fact that you're not monogamous, not successfully monogamous in every relationship you've ever been in is not itself proof that you have mental problems or any issues at all. It's just, it may just be proof that you're not cut out for this monogamy bullshit. Okay. And And you need to, you need to know yourself. And if you know, you know, at your age, and you should know yourself by your age, if you know that you're just not capable of this and pretending to be monogamous or trying to force yourself to be monogamous just creates a lot of strife and unhappiness in your life and the lives of the women you date, stop having monogamous relationships. Okay, and I've thought of that. I, I guess that just seems easier said than done. I mean, it know. is because you're gonna. A lot of women aren't going to want to date you under those exactly. conditions. And so, where you have to decide how fucked up, you know, a person you're going to be, is not on like whether you're going to be monogamous or not, or it's whether you're going to live uh, with a little integrity and you're going to be honest with the people that you date. If out of the gate you say. I'm just interested in, you know, an open relationship. Uh, I'm interested in a relationship and a commitment, but I'm not interested in a sexually closed relationship because I'm no good at that. And it just makes everyone unhappy. It makes me unhappy. It makes the women I'm with unhappy in the long run because invariably I will quote unquote cheat. So I want to have the kinds of relationships where if I have sex with somebody else, it's not cheating because there's no lying. There's no deceit. And there are people out there who, women out there who want that kind of relationship. It's just, you're going to have to look a little harder to find one. And when you do find one, won't you be happier? Won't that investment of time and energy have been worth it? That's, I think so. Yes. Where do you live, roughly? Big city, small town? San Francisco. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> you live in the world capital of women who are open to non-monogamous relationships. I know, but that makes me think that my my sample is screwed. I have friends that are doing this, but to be honest, even here, there's only a couple. And even then, I mean, if, like you said, I'm in, like, the world capital for that sort of thing, and if even here it's a rare thing, what about, you know, everywhere else? I mean... Well, but you don't live everywhere else. You live there. Your odds are better there. And your odds, you know, a lot of women who would be up for, into, open to this kind of relationship structure, they're not honest about it because of the stigma around being non-monogamous. That, you you know, you know what that stigma is like. You have people telling you you're mentally ill because you're not capable of or interested in or very good at being monogamous. So you must be crazy or fucked up or have issues that you have to unpack with a therapist as if that's magically going to solve it. And it's not. So a lot of women who might be open to this kind of relationship structure, they're not going to be broadcasting that because they don't want people to think ill of them or think that there's something wrong with them. The only way to discover if a woman is open to this is to go on a couple of dates and before you start fucking her, have this conversation. Right. You say, I'm open to commitment. Are you open to kids? I've, yeah, I've got to. <laughs> well, obviously you're open to kids. You're open to commitment. You'd like a long-term partnership, but you know... Knowing who you are and how you've lived and what you're good at and what you're not good at, that you can't make a monogamous commitment because you're going to violate it. And then everyone's going to be unhappy. So you need to be with somebody who 
doesn't want a monogamous commitment either. And those women are out there. And you'll be happier with one. Just like I'm happier with a fag, even though gay men are about 6% of the population. If I was just like running around hitting on every guy I see, I would be very upset because 96 out of, you know, 95 out of 100 would not be interested. But I know that the five who are interested are worth looking for. Right. Go find one of those. You'll be happier. And then you won't have to lie. Yeah. You'll still have to hammer out some sort of workable agreement that involves no deceit. Where, you know, you have to perhaps place limits on when and how and with whom you can express yourself sexually outside of whatever relationship you wind up in. Mm-hmm. And you'll have to hew to that commitment. Yeah. Right, of course. And every everybody I've talked to who's done it, they have rules. Right. So, that's, yeah, it seems key. It is key. And the first rule, when you know that you are not good at, not capable of, not interested in, not happy with monogamy, is to not make monogamous commitments. Right. Because you're just going to make the people you make commitments to miserable and yourself miserable. And it's going to put off the date at which you will meet somebody that you are compatible with sexually and emotionally. Right. It's just a big step. I mean, that's, you know going against everything you've ever been taught or told or anything. Everything you were taught, everything you were told was wrong for you. It doesn't work for you. Right. Find something that does and there's a model out there that does. Okay. Wow. Well, thanks. You're welcome. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. Hi, Dan. Um... I recently started sleeping with this guy. Um, We're not really dating. We just kind of have a pretty casual hookup situation, which uh, is going well. Uh, As far as I can tell, it's working very well for both of us. Um, But the only issue, uh, it's not even really so much an issue, but um, he really, really, really likes to make me come, which believe me, is not a problem at all. Uh, I love it. Uh, But sometimes it seems like he can only really, he's only really having fun if he's making me come. Um, And he really likes to go down on me a lot um, and spends a lot of time down there, which is great again. But um, I don't come all the time. Um, And that doesn't mean I'm not having fun. And I've sort of explained that to him, not in quite so many words. But um, anyway, the point is that because he, in his ideal world, I would be coming three or four or five times every single time we hooked up, and he works to try to make that happen, and in reality, that doesn't happen, I have started to fake it. Um, And not, you know, it's not all the time. I would say, like, if, you know, in any given time that we hook up, I'll probably come for real once or twice, and he thinks I've come three or four times. Um, and I don't mind doing this at all. In fact, it's like, in a strange way, it's kind of fun. Um, I'm pretty good at it, I think, um, which maybe isn't something to be proud of. But um, And I guess I'm just wondering if this is a problem. I personally don't really see that much of a problem with it. Um, I'm still having a great time. I'm coming a lot, just not as much as he thinks I am. Um, You know, I I sort of see it as 
as you like to say, the price of admission for sleeping with this guy. Uh, but I also have been taught my entire life that faking orgasms just isn't a nice thing to do to your partner. Um, and, you know, just is dishonest in general, especially because he really thinks that, you know, I'm coming a lot <laughs> and he's really good at making me come. And that's one of the things that sort of gets him going about this whole situation. So that feels pretty disingenuous to me. But at the same time, I'm enjoying myself. He's enjoying himself. Um, so it doesn't seem like that big of a problem. Anyway, I'd love to hear your take on the situation. I don't think this is a problem now. It could be a problem later. Eventually, you're going to get tired of these performances. And at that time, your resentment may surface, your frustration may surface, and then you may level with him. And that could be very damaging for him, for self-confidence, just for you know, his feelings could get hurt because you had been lying to him all this time. So I would knock it off, phase it out if I were you. I mean, you're already kind of boxed in, if I may use that expression, because you've led him to believe that you come three, four times every time you guys have sex. And if you just come once or maybe twice, that's coming enough. That's awesome. You're enjoying it. But you, you're already in a place where you can't level with him without perhaps hurting his feelings and, and upsetting him because you misled him. If you're capable of coming three and four times per time, that's great. If you're not capable of that, and not everybody is, not you know, people talk about women and their multiple orgasms. Not all women are multiply orgasmic. And if you're a uh, one is good, one is all, or two when it's amazing uh, woman, that's the price of admission that he has to pay to be with you, that he's not going to get the sort of cascading orgasms that make him feel amazing and that his dick is magic and his tongue is magic and somehow uh, make the sex for him. If he requires that kind of woman to be sexually satisfied himself, he needs to find that kind of woman. And you're not that kind of woman. And I don't think, however much you're enjoying these performances right now, that you can really fake being that kind of woman for the indefinite future, for the next, what, six, seven decades, should you live so long? So I don't think it's a problem now. It's going to be a problem sooner than you expect it to be. And let your experience be an example to all the ladies out there. Never fake it. Never fake it because you will wind up in situations like this where there's no good way out. I have a 22 years old who has been extremely ill since last November with an acquired brain injury that is a vasculitis or endotheliitis that has attacked three main systems, his brain, his hearing, and his vision. He has a complicated sexual history and a complicated medical history. There is an older man, 12 years older than my son, who has been in contact with him for approximately six years. My son is gay. Um, and that man never has seen my son and, in my opinion, is taking advantage of his vulnerability. came to Vermont a week and a half ago and took my son, who is recovering from a brain injury, away from my home overnight. Since then, I have seen emails from this man who is encouraging my son to participate in extremely, extremely high-risk behavior. 
and is not mentoring him appropriately at this major fork in the road to engage in a healthy lifestyle and to become a healthy gay man with healthy relationships. For that, I'm extremely concerned and extremely worried and don't know how to approach my son exactly because I'm his caregiver. I'm his biggest fan and I've had to advocate from Vermont to Boston routinely where his medical care is rendered and I can't do anything to compromise my relationship with my son. And in fact, I have read these emails because my son forgot his computer open. Um, so I'm just wondering what advice do you have for me? Joining us by phone from Toronto, frequent guest and friend of the show, as they say, Corey Silverberg, uh, joining us from Toronto, sex educator and co-author of The Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability. Really disturbing phone call there. Really disturbing question there, Corey. What would your yeah, advice well, be? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it, it's a very common situation, though. I mean, you can really hear the intense stress in her voice. And what, you, what I hear more than anything else is just someone who doesn't have any support and who thankfully realizes that she needs some but, you know, this is, I mean, like, there's just, there isn't support for people living with disabilities, and there's no support for families, and so it's so hard to know what to do. Um, Where so, does she yeah, draw I the mean, line between respecting her son's autonomy and mm-hmm. his rights and a need to protect him from someone she believes is exploiting him and, and right. preying on him and using his, you know, his brain injury disability uh, to get his way? Right, and the thing we need to remember is that that may be happening and it may not be happening. I mean, we should all sort of imagine what it would be like if our parents weren't just allowed to make judgments about our sex lives but actually had control over them. You know, certainly in that, you know, we could take that story. I could think of many people who, who were older than me and approached me to have very, very unsafe sex that my parents would not have been very happy that I had or didn't have. Um, so we need to be aware that what we aren't hearing in this phone call is anything about what her son, how her son experiences this. And I think she even gets this, that, like, she is, she is not the best person. You know, you can't do everything for your kids. And, and I think when it comes to this, really what she does need to do is find someone else to support her and support her son. And I'm thinking, you know, right away of, uh, if she hasn't already done it, contacting the Vermont Center for Independent Living, which is something you can do, an independent living center in most states and in most big cities. And they can probably find someone who she can actually talk with, and then ideally someone who her son can talk with. Because the tricky thing is, is that when we're talking about people with acquired brain injury or traumatic brain injury, it's it's easy to start thinking that they can't think for themselves and that they are nothing but victims. And the truth is that that just that just may not be true. That, and I you know, le- I leapt to that and then yeah. paused, thinking, well, he's competent enough to get online to respond to emails to carry right. on, uh, you know, to have a computer that he uses, how mm-hmm. incompetent is he? How right. disabled is he? Right, and I think is which is where it gets complicated because, of course, we can have, uh, you know, we have, we have competence in some areas and not others. So I may be very good socially, but I may not be very good at uh, reading a textbook or writing a contract. And unfortunately, that the, the law, when we hear these stories about, you know, so-and-so has the mental, mental capacity of a six-year-old, that's legal speak, and what they're usually thinking of is that is that stuff about writing and math and things like that. And as you're pointing out, you know, this this guy may be very good. He may be very savvy about. I mean, often people who are preyed upon, uh, you know, youth, people with disabilities, uh, can develop uh, end up being quite savvy about uh, people who are who are perpetrators. And but, and but clearly, someone with a 
with an acquired brain injury who is reliant on someone else, a parent, a guardian, for all of their care mm-hmm. uh, and lives with that person, mm-hmm. that person has some responsibility to watch out for that person. You know, perhaps what if his brain injury affects his ability to read social cues, to be discerning sure. about other people's intentions toward him? Yes. Yes, yes, they have that responsibility. I guess the piece that I would add in here is that is, it's, a, it's about rights and it's about something that we call, we talk about a dignity of risk, which is that we need to acknowledge that everyone has the right to take risks, including people with disabilities, and, and that all of us can be hurt when we take risks, very, very badly hurt, right? We can be killed. Um, and unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not a parent right now, so it's easier for me to say this, um, uh, we, I believe everyone needs to have that right, that when we take away that right, um, we, are, we are not only oppressing someone, but we're really disempowering them in a, in, a, in, a very, in, a, in a way that makes it difficult for them to grow. So that's the balance. I, there's no easy answer, but you're right. I mean, I think that, sure, she has a responsibility, but... Uh, but if in her judgment she's read oh. these emails and this man is preying on her son, is encouraging him to uh, engage in unsafe sexual practices... Mm-hmm. Extreme is the word she used, unsafe sexual practices. Right. What should she do? Well, the thing is, I'm not sure. I, I, I can't leave. I mean, I, I recognize what you say, that people right? have a right to risk, people right. have a right to make their own decisions, even people right. with acquired brain injuries have a right to self-determination, sexually and otherwise. Yes. But, as a but, parent, you know, I'm a parent. As a sure. parent, I would, in her shoes, be on the porch with a shotgun. <laughs> well, okay, okay. You, you might be. And as an educator, all I can say is that may or may not be what's best for your son in that time. Like, we need, there really aren't right answers here. I think that what she needs to do is what she has a sense of, which is she needs to get some help, both support for herself emotionally. I mean, she really sounds just like, you know, she sounds really fragile and stressful, and I understand why. And then the thing is, I would want, I would want her son to have someone that he could talk to about this that isn't her. I mean, how many of us want to talk to our parents about, uh, you know, the sex that we have? Okay, so and who can broker this conversation between mother and son about his sexual well, life? I would look for someone who would be, you know, I mean, there's lots of different titles, but there would be someone who would be kind of an advocate. That would be the term. And going to a place like an independent living center might be able to, they may be able to help her find someone, and they may have people on staff who would, she and her son can come in, they would talk to her son, they would talk to her, and then they would, they would advocate for her son's sexual health in a way that can make her feel a little bit better. You know, she may never feel completely better. But it's stuff like, you know, my questions are, does he have, has he had access to basic sex education? Does he know, you know, there, there are all sorts of things we can do to make sure that the, chance, that the risks that he takes are, are that, that the negative outcomes are less likely. Um, in the end, everyone, everyone has the right to take those risks. So I think that what she should do is, is acknowledge that she can't do everything. I think she's already doing that. I think she's doing a really great, a really great job already. I guess we should start by saying that. And, that. and that what she needs to do is find allies for, for him and for her. And this is where it gets tricky because, I mean, because they are so dependent on each other, and that is a function of so many things, including you know, class and, and, and health care and all these other things. And what they really need is, some, is someone in between them now. Any other someone. resources or referrals that you could give her? Um, well, so because of his age, the other thing that comes to mind is there's an organization called the National Youth Leadership Network, which is actually a national organization uh, of disabled youth. Um, and they're interested in issues cross disability. And they have a website, which is just www.nyln.org. 
uh, and I can give you this link so you can put it up somewhere. Um, and this would be another place, this would be more a place for her to let him um, check out, because it's actually an organization that's for him, not for her. Um, but, and, 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 and her local independent living center. I mean, it's really important that she gets someone on the ground um, that she can talk to. Okay, thank you, Corey. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks. Hey, Dan, what's up? This is a comment uh, from episode 213 for the woman who's supposedly attracted to Mexicans. Um, this, this always drives me crazy because I don't actually think she's attracted to Mexicans. I think she's probably attracted to Latinos. Um, this is always happening in the media and uh, around me all the time. And it, yeah, I know it's just uh, words, but it does make a difference. People from Mexico are Mexican. Uh, it's not a race, it's a nationality. So there's black people, there's Asian people, there's uh, white people. There's all different colored people and types of people that are Mexican that are from Mexico. I mean, is she attracted to Latinos? Is she attracted to uh, Native Indians? You know, which is totally cool. It's totally fine, but I just... Uh, drives me nuts having uh, the Mexican used as a race because it's actually just a nationality. Uh, if you're born in Mexico, then you're Mexican. You know, if you're born in Guatemala, you're, you're Guatemalan, but you're still both can be Latino. Hi, Dan. I just got done listening to episode 213 about the first guy who went to a children's party where there was a carnival or where there was a clown porn balloon woman. And I just did a really quick search on FetLife um, I just searched for the word clown, and a bunch of groups came up and a bunch of people. Um, and so if that guy can't find anything that he's looking for at the Acme Attic, he could try looking for there and maybe even make friends with people who could direct him to what he's looking for. I hope you can find what he's looking for. Thanks, Dan. Hi, Dan Savage. Um, I'm just calling to say thank you. I've been a listener of your podcast and a reader of your column for a very long time. And um, it was you that convinced me to get out of a relationship that I've been in for the past three years. It was so wonderful um, that the sex was just not there. And uh, it's finally over. And I'm fucking my neighbor. And it's awesome. And I have you to thank for it. Thank you all very much for your calls and your comments. We're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, that's the number to call. 206-201-2720. Remember, no gynecological or colonoscopal shots in front of the Christmas tree, please. On our porn websites and our personal websites, I find it personally very distressing to play this time of year. Don't forget to purchase the Savage Love iPhone app. Don't forget to read Savage Love, the column, which is in all weekly newspapers all over the country and Canada, including the city pages in Minneapolis. And me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth will be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.